Good morning, Acklin. This is the Sunday message for November 28th. Happy New Year! That may sound a bit odd for some of you. After all, it's only November 28th, not January 1st. But today is the first Sunday of the church calendar, or you might refer to it as the liturgical year. Within the first few hundred years of church history, Christians took the big events of Jesus, his birth, his resurrection, and existing cultural holidays, and they structured church seasons that matched the rhythm of the gospel story as well as the cycle of the four seasons, especially winter to spring. Acklin has been reading the four readings of the Revised Common Lectionary for 25 years. We don't believe we have to do this. We don't believe this is a thus saith the Lord, but for us, it's been a helpful tool to study the entirety of the scriptures while also keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus, understood through the lens of the main events. And these are the main events of the gospel story. The incarnation, when God took on human skin, the creator returned to the planet. The passion of Jesus, the last week of his life, which includes, of course, his cross and his resurrection. Pentecost, 50 days later, when Jesus, after being ascended, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit from the Father's right hand. And last but not least, the return of Jesus, the second coming. The liturgical year will take us through six months of seasons, going from Advent to Epiphany to Lent to Easter to Pentecost on June 5th of next year. And then we'll have six months of what is known as Ordinary Time, where we go through the teachings of Jesus and other parts of the scriptures. But today, the first Sunday of the year, is the first Sunday of Advent. The word Advent simply means arrival or coming. Jesus came once, Jesus will come again. And these are the bookends of the two arrivals of Jesus, the first coming and the second coming, when Jesus will return to make all things new. The first Sunday of Advent is a jarring morning because we begin with the end. And this, when I started doing this 10 years ago, it always struck me as really odd because the first Sunday of Advent, you talk about the second coming of Jesus, and you know, in our hearts and minds, we're kind of ready for the nativity and sweet baby Jesus and all that. But the first Sunday of Advent, we talk about the second coming and judgment and all that. Think of it this way. You may remember the influential bestseller by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit number two is this. Begin with the end in mind. And that's exactly what we're doing today as we start with the end, the second coming of Jesus. It's counterintuitive, yet helpful to start there. Because starting with the end shapes how you see everything else. Remember the first time I realized this artistically, I'd watched the 2000 film by Christopher Nolan, Memento. The story is a, a series of scenes beginning with the last scene and then ending with the first scene. And I tell you, it makes a big difference how you see the film because the story is told backwards. Knowing the ending first changes everything. And family, we know the ending. Someday, Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And everything that happens in the ensuing months, we read those stories and we live in those stories knowing what the end will be. Jesus will completely defeat death and evil and bring the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. This is good news. 
but it will, it will involve some challenge, for it includes judgment. And that's a word we don't know what to do with nowadays. We're uncomfortable with a God that judges. There have been other cultures that have been uncomfortable with a God of grace. I find that nowadays, we expect grace. <laughs> We're uncomfortable, though, with a God that judges. And we do that a variety of ways. We misinterpret Jesus' words in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Do not judge, lest you be judged. We misinterpret that as a ban on all judging when the context clearly demonstrates Jesus is talking about unfair, hypocritical judgments. You know, don't take out the, the um, speck in someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own. I mean, you can't drive to Ackland on a Sunday without making some decisions and choices, some judgments. So, it's not, it can't be a ban on all judgments. In addition, we fall for this notion that the Old Testament is about judgment and Jesus is about grace. And that's a lie. The truth is that both judgment and grace show up throughout the entire Bible. And no one talks more about judgment than Jesus. Jesus says, Matthew 12, verse 36, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Friends, Jesus is going to come back someday and judge you. It's unpleasant for me to think about, and yet it's true. And I would be a really incompetent preacher if I never told you that. Now, to be clear, there's a lot of grace in the story. We're going to talk a lot about that during the seasons. And to be clear, Christians interpret the Bible in various ways about the final judgment. Now let's think about that for a quick sec. Christians think about the final judgment in various ways. You know, some believe in a in a second chance, sometimes referred to as Christian universalism. Some have a more traditional view, believe in eternal conscience torment, that people will continue to the those not in Christ will continue to exist in some fashion and it will be a punishment that, that never ends. And some believe those not in Christ cease to exist. This is referred to as annihilationism or conditionalism. Some believe those in Christ just, those, I'm sorry, those not in Christ, that the death is, they cease to exist. There are no more. And as I taught in detail about six, seven years ago, I believe that that latter view that scripture teaches, like using Matthew 25 language, that the sheep will live forever and the goats will cease to exist. But I am aware we have all three of those interpretations among our church family. But let me tell you what we all have in common. No matter which of those views you take, we all believe that Jesus will come, and Jesus will come and judge the living and the dead. And even if that, that ends well, and you are saved, it's intimidating to think about, right? It's going to be a challenge to give account of your life to Jesus. You know, I believe I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, not by anything I have done, but I believe I'm saved by, by the cross and the faith he has given me in him. I believe I will live forever with Jesus. Your family, I'm intimidated by what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 where he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due, what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Boy, I have done some things that I do not want to talk to Jesus about, right? And I believe I will be forgiven, and yet, man, there's an intimidation about the judgment. And I think that 
that healthy fear of the judgment is, is meant to affect how we live today. So this morning, I believe the Spirit wants to stoke some healthy fear of the Lord in all of us. The tone of this message will be slightly more, you know, what's the saying, hellfire and brimstone than normal. This is not the normal tone we use in our in our preaching. But um, but I believe it's, it's what is meant for the theme of this day and, more importantly, the intentions of Jesus. So our gospel reading comes from Luke 21, 25 through 36. Luke 21, 25 through 36, where Jesus says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity, the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the leaves. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away till all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. This is God's Word. As we discuss each year, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's always the same reading from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first Sunday of Advent. Jesus gets this place in his ministry where he talks about the second coming, the end of the world as we know it. But he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD, right around that time. Like They're really wrapped up together, and it's, it's hard to parse out like what is the second coming and what is the destruction of Jerusalem. Yet, as we've tried to say, for those who died in that tragedy, it was their end of the world, right? Just as Pearl Harbor, Vietnam, the Challenger explosion, 9-11, and COVID have been the end of the world for those that died in, in those tragedies. I, I gotta be honest, this is the most complicated passage in all the Gospels for me. There are so many interpretive difficulties. I don't have a complete explanation. But I know this, Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. We need to wake up. And be ready, be prepared, not only for the second coming, but for the tragedies that may come at us in this life. And we're experiencing, hopefully, the, the latter end of the pandemic. And, and we're familiar with the tragedies come on us unforeseen. We need to be ready, always be spiritually rooted so that we can be prepared. We need to wake up. But no one likes to wake up. You know, many of us wake up grumpy. Many of us wake up mildly angry at the alarm or the person who woke us up. I'm confident that what I'm about to say will make some of us a tad grumpy and angry. But I believe God wants to wake us up. For the reminder, remainder of my time, I want to focus on verse 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. So look at these three things that weigh us down carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. The first is carousing. 
not a word we, we use a lot. Other translations offer the word dissipation, a word I use even less. <laughs> but it simply means wasting away. So take a deep breath and consider this. What are you wasting? Do you ever see someone who just has wasted all their talent, their gifts, their money? They, they've just wasted it all away. And you look at them and think, what a waste. I've seen so many gifted musicians, actors, artists, and athletes who, who wasted their talents because they were lazy or arrogant or they spent all their time on destructive, destructive habits. Friends, what are you wasting? I look in the mirror and think, what am I wasting? Your body is a gift from God. Are you wasting it? You don't have to be a health nut or an exercise fanatic. But are you taking care of your body? Because your body's important. Don't neglect your body. Don't mistreat your body. We've all seen people who have abused and ignored their bodies. And have continued, some ways of serving others become impossible because of their health. Like, we need you. We need your body. We need you to be as healthy as possible so that you can serve the Lord Jesus, so that you can get the most out of your body that God has called you to do. Your money is a gift from God. Are you wasting it? You don't have to have endless Excel spreadsheets or a box full of receipts, but do you know where your money goes? Do you have a plan for your money? Or does your money just follow the ads that pop up or the lure of Amazon Prime? And here's the main problem of wasting money. That's money you could use to help the poor. I know a lot of people that waste their money and then say they can't help the poor. They say they can't give to things. And some people can't because they truly are poor. But I think a lot of middle class, upper middle class, rich folks, they waste so much money and then they don't have any money to share. And that is not what the gospel calls us to do. The gospel demands that we help others. So don't waste your money because you need to, you need to have money available. Unless you're poor yourself, you need to have money available to help others. Friends, your time is a gift from God. Are you wasting your time? And you don't have to use your day timer to plan out every 15 minutes, but are you using your time wisely? Everywhere we go, things compete for our time. Entertainment competes, our jobs compete, our phones compete, our friends and family compete. We can't just go with the flow on how we spend our time. You know, sometimes the frantic busyness of modern life, I feel completely out of control. And I look, and I'm not doing the important, I'm just doing the urgent. I'm not doing the important, I'm just doing the urgent. We must be diligent and set priorities. God, Once again, see previous point, God calls us to help others, but if we're wasting all of our time staring at our phones or surfing the web or becoming workaholics, we won't have time to help others. Your talents are a gift from God. Are you wasting your talents? We're going to be spending a lot of time in our upcoming Sunday morning class talking about gifts. Are you getting the most out of your abilities? As I look around this room, you are so so talented. Don't waste it. We want to be a community that helps people to get the most out of their talents for the glory of God and the good of the world. Lastly, this world is a gift from God. Are you wasting this earth? Are you wasting the planet? We've been given so many resources, trees, animals, water, air. 
And we will give accounts on how we have stewarded the creation just as Adam and Eve were told to steward the garden. We must stop wasting. We must stop dissipating. We must stop carousing. Second, Jesus says many are weighed down by drunkenness. The heart of this issue is being led by something other than the Holy Spirit. And this includes a long spectrum, which includes the occasional bad decision, frequent bad habits, and then controlling addiction. Drunkenness is specifically mentioned, so we'll think of alcohol for a second. When you're led by alcohol, you are not led by God. I grew up in a teetotaling culture. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Many around me had been hurt by alcoholics. So all drinking was stigmatized. And as I look back on that, I think some good things happened from this. You know, I grew up in a world where I never really saw alcohol around me. And I think there were some good things that came from that. And at the same time, um, something I've wondered about is those who did struggle with alcohol felt like they really had to hide it because it was so strongly stigmatized. It felt like it, so it was harder for them to get help. Ackland's not a teetotaling culture. And the good part of that is I think someone who struggles would be more comfortable getting help. But the bad part of that is, is sometimes you don't know when your drinking has become a problem. So here's what I want you to do. If, if you're someone that drinks, every now and then, ask a friend, a friend or family member, do I drink too much? Has my drinking ever embarrassed you? Have ever done something while drinking that I wouldn't have done while not drinking? Has my, my drinking led me in ways that minimize the Holy Spirit? Ask those questions and then humbly listen to their answers. Do not be led by alcohol. I've been really concerned this year by gambling. Recently, our state legislature legalized online sports gambling. And very quickly, I saw advertisements on billboards every day. In the month of September, Tennesseans bet $275 million on sports. In the month of October, they bet $375 million on sports. It's only growing. Think of it this way. We're gambling on sports about the same amount of money that our state budgets for education. And I have friends who bet a few bucks on the Titans game. I have friends who buy the occasional lotto ticket and I'm not losing too much sleep over that. But by nature, gambling grows, becomes addictive, and people people exceed like the threshold of just fun entertainment money, and it starts being their mortgage money. It starts being the grocery money. So let's be honest. People are going to lose their houses over this sports gambling online. People are going to lose their marriages over this. Kids are going to become hungry and homeless over this. It's going to happen. We need to prepare ourselves for how to respond. I'm concerned about sex addiction. Um, in so many ways, I, the statistics on internet porn are troubling. Uh, I found a, a statistic that was a few years old. said 40 million Americans regularly view porn sites. That was before the pandemic. I'm almost certain that's higher now. Billions of dollars are generated annually from this. This addiction plagues both men and women. Uh, the research shows that regular porn use negatively affects one's ability to have a healthy sex life. Um, some forms of porn are connected with human trafficking and, and child abuse. And uh, porn has been shown from research to 
drastically shape our expectations to just make so many things in our lives more complicated and more difficult. The age at which kids first see porn gets lower and lower. And kids, I want you to know that's not your fault. You're gonna, At some point in your life, you're going to see something. At some point in your life, you're probably going to see porn for the first time. And it's probably at first going to be an accident or just kind of getting too curious. And I, don't, I do not want you to be full, full of shame when that happens. Like, I've been there. Just make sure you go talk to your parents about it. And trust me, they'll understand. They'll help you steer clear of it. Don't keep it a secret. Go talk to an adult. It's it's going to be okay. But know this. It is not good for you. It is poison. You know, they put those child safety locks on the on the household cleaners that we put under the sink. Like, porn is the same way. It is, it is a poison, not just for children, but for all of us. I think it's important that we, we really be careful about alcohol, drugs, gambling, and various forms of, of unhealthy sexual patterns. Third and last, Jesus says many are weighed down by the anxieties of life. And I don't think Jesus is talking about mental health issues here. I don't think Jesus is talking about anxiety beyond our control. Um, in the context, I think Jesus is talking about the anxiety that is is um, under our control. It's, it's when we choose to concern ourselves with unimportant things. So Jesus is referencing distractions. So this is majoring in minors. So like this time of year, it's stressing about wrapping paper and sausage balls. And what am I going to buy for that distant uncle for Christmas? Doing all that, but forgetting to reflect on Jesus. This is worrying about what others think instead of worrying about what God thinks. And let's be blunt. We have to stop worrying about the little stuff, all the minutiae. I mean, how many of us, we play with our phones all the time. We doom scroll on social media. We know, we know cable news is toxic, but yet we keep watching it. We've got to stop ignoring the problems we can affect while becoming overwhelmed by the problems we can't change. Focus on what you can change instead of being overwhelmed by stuff you can't affect anyway. We must stop it. It will all weigh us down. We must take it off and follow Jesus for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When Jesus came the first time, many missed it. They were wasting their lives, chasing alcohol and distractions, and they simply missed him. And when they did, they missed the gospel. And when they missed the gospel, they were caught between a rock and a hard place, between Roman imperialism and Jewish nationalism, both really bad choices. And many died in that conflict. Many suffered. Many lost their faith in their lives because they were not ready, because they had been asleep and missed the gospel. Beloved, do not oversleep. Please wake up. Hear the gospel. Because I want you to escape all that is about to happen. And this is hard to hear. Judgment may not be your thing. Judgment's not my thing. (laughs) But maybe some of us feel convicted this morning. Want to change, but don't really know how. I would encourage you in this way. Hang on. I would like to invite you into the story of Jesus, the story of all reality, the story of the seasons, which will begin today, but will not finish until June 6th of next year. And we will go through highs and lows, miracles and betrayals, feasts and hunger. But if you will stay with us in that journey, God will show us that we are not alone, we are loved, and we can have something better for our lives than what we currently have. Because God wants to make us new. God wants to fill us up.
so that we can live the life we were always created to live. Family, today is the start of Advent. Christ has come. Christ will come again. Open your life to the arrival of God.